0: There's only so much doing you want to do on a retreat before the doing becomes the problem (laughs) rather than the answer. You know, know, we get tangled. There's only so much thinking you want to do before it becomes just, you know, too much thought. Let's continue. Thank you for your questions. Let's see what comes up as, uh, as I review these questions. First thing I noticed was there's quite a lot of them. This is understandable considering there's several hundred people joining in. Um, so I'm not surprised. Uh, time is limited. Try to lump them together. Yeah. And bear some in mind as topics that I may be able to address in a talk. Since it's unlikely I can actually go through every every question that arises. Okay. So someone's asking, What is practicing directly? Practice that leads to direct experience. question has been saying... Awareness, aware of thoughts, perceptions, whatever rises in the moment. To take me out of it and to notice comings and goings. Awareness being the common denominator. Constant, if you will. Any guidance on how to practice directly is much appreciated. Sounds like you're more or less on track. Yeah, The Buddha differentiated between Manyati, conceiving or construing, which is much more to do with forming abstract models of experience and Pajanati, which means much more, Pa this means thorough, Jhana means it's the word to do with knowing, it's a non-conceptual knowing, it's a kind of uh-huh knowing, get it, you get it, you know, you get it, you're with it and it's it's get it, you know, you're I don't know how to say it really, because it's not knowing about, it's not forming uh, a model, it's not classifying, it's just getting it, you get it. And I I would suggest that um, there is a certain amount of thinking or labelling, oh that's that, it goes on, Mm, with experience. So one of our first responses when something touches us or strikes us, we go, and then you you know you get the immediate hit, which is you know pulling or pushing or exciting or not to be noticed. And something starts going. Oh, don't bother with that. Or go that way. There's a sort of like an instinctive or movement, which is not necessarily always that wise, <laughs> right? So we often just driven. So the conceiving mind says, "Wait a minute, that's one of those. You shouldn't be doing that." all right good and that's the way that an ordinary person would operate you know we've got a set of rules and concepts and ideas um you know, that means that that's that and it works to a degree we get on but uh we then we're always living a life within categories and some experiences you know like driving a car or something like that there's a certain amount of categorization this is the gear shift this is the steering wheel this is the speed and sometimes you know when things really there's sort of an emergency you find yourself operating on intuitive like slow you know you haven't got time to think but because you've done your thinking and conceiving it's an you to get a handle on the machine and really get in touch with it then when things get difficult you've got something much more deeply You've learnt it on a deeper level than just ideas. So, same thing with um, cultivation of mind. First of all, we have to have some conceptual experience to give us a frame things up. So we have lists. You know, this is mindfulness. This is motivation. This is right view, and yeah, these are useful labels. And then, as you get to use them more and more, you get a, a sort of something like a real intimate sense of you know when the mind is, what knowledge is really about in this practice, which is not about forming classifications but about guiding the citta. First of all, you guide it through conceptual knowledge, and when the citta is trained rather like a child learning a language, picks it up. Then it can speak for itself. You don't have to keep you know telling it what to do. And that's that's a pretty advanced stage. Most of us need some you know, mother knowledge standing in the background saying, wait a minute, you've been there before, you know where that led you, problem, put it down. Because <laughs> the jitter's a little bit heedless. Yeah. But still, even that all comes into at least we're coming to direct experience of cause and effect, right? Really knowing what's happening in the chitta. So uh, and being with that. Really knowing what's happening in the chitta, what's happening in the heart, what's happening in awareness, what's moving us, what's shaking us, what's calming us, what's gladdening us, and how that feels directly. Um, So the direct experience is much more a felt experience. Mm. I mean, felt in a much broader sense than just pleasure or pain. It means it's happening at a non-conceptual level when you're sensing it. How's that? Mm. Mm. Feeling some stress here. Feeling some push here. It's not quite right. What am I... Ah, ah, that's that. Yeah. So we're working into how the jitta operates, because the jitta doesn't have language. Oh, it doesn't mm. have language. Only I mean, as impulse, feeling, sensitivity, confusion, and clarity. I mean, you know, we're getting into that territory to poke, stimulate the jitta to start wising up. <laughs> you yeah. know. Don't just go on secondhand knowledge. Start getting your own wisdom going through direct experience. If it, means, if it means making a few mistakes, and if you keep your conceptual experience tidy enough, you're not going to go that far wrong. You've got a basic set of, you know, don't do this, do do that. Keep coming back, you know, to to, to steward it. Then you can encourage the jitta to get really, you know, learn its get its own wisdom going, which is direct. In other words it's not wisdom about something it's the immediate sense of moving you know it feels like that and yeah you know, and drinking in what's good and discarding what's not needed so the wisdom of wisdom of um, ending of suffering and stress can't do that conceptually and someone's asking about What's the relationship or differences between sati sampajanya, which they translate as intuitive awareness or clear comprehension, and sati which they translate as wisdom, within the framework of practical application? Well, sati, as many of you know, is the word for mindfulness. Pali language often can stick or bits together. You know, just can create these massive compound words. And in the canon, you have a, a compound sati-sampajanya. Sati-mindfulness and sampajanya. And this is again a similar sampajanya is built up from this funda- this root word jhana. Jhana to know or anya to know. Anya, jhana to knowing, knowingness. Um... And sam it means thorough and pa means full. so it's thorough full knowing <laughs> you know, direct full thoroughful knowing um, and it's the it's the kind of knowing um, that mindfulness makes possible. So if sati mindfulness is a particular um, mode of mind and sampajanya is the is the. The quality of witnessing or knowingness that arises because of sati, when the sati, proper sati, right mindfulness, is not distracted by hindrances, by confusions. It stays steady and stable. It it stabilizes, it clarifies, and um, you know. Therefore, because the, the chitta is now stable and steady and held in an appropriate frame of reference, it starts to see things clearly. This is called Sampajana. It starts to oh, this is what it is. It's not just what I felt or imagined or in my kind of somewhat foggy way. So it's thoroughly fully knowing. And uh, here the expression intuitive awareness or clear comprehension yeah, there's, there's people use different, different words for these Pali words, so I end up going back to the Pali just for the sake of standardization. But you can see the uh, the knowingness, anya, it's, um, thorough, complete knowingness, it means it's, it's not obstructed by hindrances. And it's that direct sense of the citta, seeing for itself rather than the rational mind creating more ideas. Satipanya is a kind of colloquial that meditation teachers use. It's sort of abbreviated colloquialism. It's not canonical. So it's just the sort of means the wisdom that comes with mindfulness. more or less the same thing. But it's, it's um, Buddhism's a long tradition. So you've got the classical language and then meditation teachers often kind of use their own terms to describe your experience. Person asking about meditation and direct experience I find myself frequently meandering to investigation e.g. curiosity about my experience asking myself questions about my breath and body sensations instead of solely experiencing the qualities of the changing sensations. I'm not sure I know how to do this well, practice makes this all what you need, more practice. Investigation, Dhamma Vijaya is an enlightenment factor. Um, Yonisomani Sikara, deep attention is a penetrating faculty of mind, really getting to the heart of what's going on. A certain amount of movement and turning things over, uh, chewing things over is considered um, suitable and necessary. For liberation, mm-hmm. many sikara deep attention, wise attention, much, much under understated. I think mindfulness gets all the all the headlines, but so Somanisikara is one of the four qualities that are needed for stream entry. Right, you know, it's uh, one of the four supports for stream entry. And it was the quality the Buddha used for his own liberation. Yeah, so it's an ongoing. Mindfulness helps the whole thing steady. And it's penetrative, what's this? How is this? What's the feeling of that? Where does the pressure occur in that? Where's the stress in that? Where's the clinging? What does clinging feel like? Is it necessary? Does it do any good? How does it happen? All this is penetrative attention and investigation. Now, that's good. It's a question of how much before the mind gets so stirred up that you lose the stability. And that's why the Buddha said you practice the two together. You know, if the mind's getting too rocked around with too much questioning or starting to get, you know, speculative curiosity, like, well, you know, Is this the same as what they call in Tibetan Buddhism is this bodhicitta is this like christian gnosis you know whoa spinning out into terminology no no you're getting too excited by by stirring up too much then you go back to just stable stabilizing within that stability Mm. how is that who is that? Who is that? Anything obstructing that? Linger It can be quite a slow process It's like you know, it's like someone who's waiting for a rare species of deer and they sit and wait and Wait and wait, and then they notice the rustling. Oh, there it is. You know. and of course, sometimes there's not much stability. The mind is really strained or struggling or floundering, and then we say, "Okay, what's needed here?" You know, in all this, rather than going into the problem with my da 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 da, and problem with the future, and the problem with this and that and the other you know spinning out say what's the feeling The feeling is one of overwhelm overwhelmed you got it now you're getting very direct you summarize you know the spinning out into just one handle one handle word like all this you know the problem with the people next door my car my money my job my health my partner amounts to worry got it how is that Okay. Now you can linger in that worry and just keep creating more spin out, or get directly. You only saw me sikara Get to the source. This is worry and agitation, trying to make. And so, what does it need? What's it around? Because we're seeking security in something that can't be secure. Therefore, we get anxiety. You might always say, oh my goodness, help. Where do I find security then? I need security. You find security not in that which is changeable. You find security in the stable presence. Which comes when you touch into worry, agitation, without blaming or getting panicky about it or claiming it as being yourself or Frustrated, just this is an energy, this is a sense, lingering, what's needed. And then the answer is often not an idea. Because the emotions, as you know, don't obey your ideas. They're embodied. Emotions are in the body. That's where they arise from. You can't deal with an emotion by making a decision about it. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. But emotions arise from the somatic experience of disturbance. They are bonded to that. So if we go to the somatic impression, worry, fear, dread, anger, we what's happening in my belly? Oi. Okay. Suddenly the body wakes up. You know, and, you know, and then you find the ground then you think, then you, then you get well of course, life's uncertain which you knew conceptually and anybody could have told you that but the concept doesn't enter the place of realisation the place of realisation is, is, is direct embodied you know, where you feel it you know, you see what I mean? You know, we got all the ideas. It's translated into direct experience, and you use the body for that. And what, which means uncomfortable. You feel that pressure in your body, and you, oh, don't want it. But okay, there it is. Let's just open and widen, and take a few breaths with that, without moving away from it, without going into it. Don't go into it. Why go and stay around that and just hold the space, non-proliferation, and things will begin to shift by themselves. Within the range, In the range. Somebody's asked about range. Um, it's the range. Difficult to. Um, it means depending on the. the development of your chitta. i don't want to be comparative about that you know this is better that's worse but just the fact is the more often you do it the stronger more resourceful your citta gets and the more resilient it gets and the more you can abide with unpleasant feeling and difficult emotions and confusing mind states and the first time it's very difficult to abide with those because your citta is depleted it's not within your capacities You can't just say, sit like a rock no matter what, everything's impermanent. There's an idea. That doesn't work. That's disastrous. Just following ideologies. Within my range, before I start really getting intense and spacing out or going strange, that's about as much as I can do right now. (laughs) My jitter just needs some support. So I'll go and you know do some walking or shift the topic of my attention or find a wise person to share with you know it's 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 pragmatic and then if you really understand the depleted chitta what feeds the depleted chitta association with wise people restraint from passions and greed and intoxication yeah it's it's it's, it's kind of the obvious stuff associate with good people it's going to replenish your citta stay away from the wacky stuff it's going to keep your citta healthy begin to develop exercises of loving kindness and mindfulness it's going to strengthen your citta the stronger it gets then you can take on more of your karma more of your accumulations more of the difficult stuff but you have to know what's within your capacity to do what's within your range of strength and of wisdom you know, some things one is still bemused by. It's it's disappointing, <laughs> you know, to see you still get fascinated by this, that and the other because you haven't Jitta hasn't really got the wisdom for it yet. Well, just keep practising and plugging away, developing parami and, and it's, it's all grow up. Can't expect a toddler to run that far. But you can't dismiss it either because it's it's got to grow so you just keep exercising it within your capacities and a wise person asks sajitta how is this you know can you be with this just a little bit more just a little bit mm-hmm. can you find space around this difficult feeling can you stay can you find ground stability with, around this, with this difficult feeling just about okay really good and because these difficult feelings have got a suction power to pull you in and if the jitter's is not strong enough you just get pulled into it and spun around and feel disappointed so you've got to find your ground depending on your capacity for stability and discernment. Now, someone's asking jhana. So jhana, this is not the same as janya, which I've just been mentioning, janya, anya, which is knowing. This is another word jhana, jhana. And it's translated in two ways. Uh, The most common translation for it is absorption. And the other translation for it is meditation. <laughs> and so sometimes when you see the word meditation, it is often a translation of the word jhana. It obviously the early translators looking for some English terms. And when you try to find a Pali word for meditation, well, it's not sati, that's mindfulness. It's not samadhi, that's concentration. It's not, you know. Uh, and so they, well, this jhana thing. We'll call it meditation. Yeah, it means to, so sometimes it's that. Uh, and other translators use the word absorption. So the two okay. have a certain. What it's referring to is the ability to linger, pause and uh, the citta to steadily deepen into itself. into its own domain away from the hindrances so it's very much about direct experience and embodied experience Mm -hmm. and we say embodied, once again this is not about sensation or physicality or anatomy I mean the, the most easy accessible way to understand this is call it nervous energy that's near enough that's the embodiment means nervous energy is of different kinds you have that which is associated with action you have that which is associated with response to the pleasure and pain you have another nervous system which is associated with just being present and that is the subtlest and it's autonomous. It's, you, know, you can't direct it with your will. And we say that's that's the domain of the citta. Mm. Awareness. Awareness. So normally the citta is very much associated with uh, uh, the perceptions that arise from sense contact. Mm. Yeah. So What happens is the thinking mind, or attention, drops these impressions into the citta. Drops impressions of sights and sounds. Not actually the sights and sounds themselves, but impressions of them. Pleasant, agreeable, familiar, tasty, disgusting, weird. It drops a lot of adjectives into the citta, and the citta trembles. Oh, oh, you know, it trembles. That's why it's trembling so much. Tax returns, oh, election, oh, you know, World Cup, ha ah, you know. So it drops these things that stimulate responses mm-hmm. into the area of the heart. So much so uh, the heart is overstimulated, as, as we've been explaining. Mm-hmm. now with the process of meditation and jhana means you first of all disengage from sense contact. The disengagement, viveka, is not exactly like building a stone wall around yourself. It means that you see and hear, but you don't get the adjectives. You don't; They don't penetrate you. You see, but you're, you're disengaging the wow or the oh no or the Got to have one of those. You're disengaging the mental reaction. As I was suggesting uh, a while ago, just having the eyes open and not allowing the eyes to go into a particular detail. That's where the adjectives start when you go into, oh, what's that? No, it's just sight, seeing. So one is seeing, but unengaged in seeing. Not deriving pleasure or pain or stimulation or motivation from seeing. Yeah. Not deriving reality out of seeing. Seeing is just the seeing, mm. non conceptual, non creation. That's disengagement. You know mm. I mean? We cultivate that disengagement. Once you cultivate disengagement, pretty soon you become aware of this silent present what's that? that's chitta. you could say it's, it's the knower the presence the awareness it's not the sense consciousness it's not a thought just do it do the disengagement and oh, I'm, I'm here, here without an identity. Of course, the most difficult one to disengage from is the mental consciousness, which is always trying to create a label around experience, always throwing those labels in and imperatives of what you should do. So you just keep disengaging from the imperatives of what you should do and the labels of experience. And just so, it's a hereness open, stable jitta disengaged jitta and so this is the first quality that's conducive to this jhana experience what occurs with that is one starts to feel quietly happy A happiness born of disengagement is no pressure nothing to you have to get excited about or stirred up around. This is rather nice, quite cool. Oh. And there's a sense of a subtle pleasure arises. There's these, there's different features to it, but essentially this happiness, pleasure, ease, relief. Jitta sits in that, oh, doesn't bother with thinking doesn't bother with the future, past, the self, the labels, sits in itself, feels pretty nice. The energy of the chitta begins to suffuse the entire body, the energy body. Right? This is what's called jhana. Okay, so somebody's saying, well, how important is that? <laughs> I wouldn't say. <laughs> uh, How do you classify these things? Mm, how important is it to be happy? <laughs> I think it's quite important. Uh, important. But then you say, you've got to get jhana, otherwise, you. No, no, that's not it. And once you start to get fixated, now that, that's that's not appropriate. You know, you start to get into this kind of jhana, which one and how many and how you do it. No, you've, you're going into the concepts again. And directly, spirit, do you would like to be happy, <laughs> comfortable, at ease in yourself? I think so. Would you like to not have worry, agitation, fear, greed, hatred, and delusion? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think it's quite important. <laughs> Uh, so uh, a little mind is strengthened by that because for a start, you begin to say, "Hey, this is possible. Not always possible. we do get snagged. if this is possible, well, it doesn't cost anything. It's looking, you know pretty nice. So you know you can begin to let go of a lot more stuff, Let go of a lot more stuff, there's less stuff to get clogged and tangled up with. So that's helpful. It, it uh, liberates the jitta to this extent. We find a greater happiness and ease in that inner domain than in running out, doing this, that and the other. Mm-hmm. And it's embodied. The analogies the Buddha used to describe it are all about feeling pleasure in the body like you're sitting in a bath, bubbling or cool water in a hot day, or covered with a pure white sheet, something really cool and pleasant. So it's, it's got a pleasure to it. Um, and then, you know, several things, because his term does, has got shifts around a lot, well, it shifted around a lot in the 2,500 years. And unfortunately, one big shift that it seemed to make was it went to describing a disembodied experience. You know, whereby it went to like visualising particular mental signs and focusing on that. So it went from being embodied to being disembodied, to my mind, and I think that's definitely possible. Uh, I don't think that's what the Buddha was teaching. Um, and there are unfortunate um, disputes occur around this term that... Um, people find they don't want this, they find this disembodied jhana to be uh, problematic and I can understand that, but I I think the real thing is pretty much right on track for what what the Buddha was talking about. He didn't seem to use the word quite a lot. But also that it's not nibbana. This is absolutely clear. It's it's a, a base where the jitta is clear enough stable enough to be able to see what needs to be released and do it. And even release from not getting fascinated by the pleasure or the subtlety of jhana itself. So it's even to release a dispassion towards meditative states. This topic probably people can write books about and uh, I'm not going to write a book about it, it's enough. Okay, so getting into less terminology, but more into people's experience. uh, Practice with our habits. We need all the help we can get. Today I felt with sharper clarity this to be true. So we sit with our habits and blind spots and inadvertently reinforce them by repeating our patterns while sitting a no way out situation. Is Nibbana transcendence or is it full acceptance that this is how it is and we have to wait for the karma to end? Um, No, it's not acceptance and waiting for the karma to end because the karma isn't going to end. If you just wait for it, it just keeps going. <laughs> it's like a, a feedback loop that's quite spinning around. You can sit and look at that ball rolling around and it just keeps rolling. You have to do something or, if you like, do nothing. You know, But certainly it's got to be response to that situation of, of uh, karma. And the response, very simply, is uh, first of all, you know, Take a stand against bad karma, Um, even your thinking mind, just keep arresting it, turn it another direction, calm it, placate it, be stern to it, be kind to it, you know, be apparent to it, sometimes you pull it back, sometimes you set it down, sometimes you wipe its eyes, sometimes you give it a little touch, sometimes you lift it up and encourage it, but get it out of those black holes. Um um and this is good karma and really we do we could be doing that all the time. Body, speech, action, livelihood, meditation, it's all good karma. All an opportunity for good karma, karma of the mind, karma of the body. But karma of the mind is the predominant one. That's what drives the rest of it so we often have to come to terms right with the nitty gritty of where the karma originates or is is deeply embedded in in the in the mind in the citta habits of the citta this is why you, you do restraint practices and you do focusing practices and you do relational practices to your mind soothe it quiet it arrest it stop it check it pull it back push it forward let it to lie down you yeah? get it in your body you yeah? Keep massaging it, working it in an appropriate way, according to your capacities. And once again, you know, if we run out of juice, it's time to go to see the teacher. It's time to listen to a talk. It's time to meet to get your resources together. And gradually, if you keep establishing fences around the difficult stuff, you don't go there anymore, eventually that difficult stuff gets less power. It's a simple, simple... Um, logic to it, the less often you visit the difficult places, the less power they get until you get to the point of really understanding the root cause or the root condition on which karma is established self-perpetuation and there is no (laughs) self-perpetuation in a valid term, there's just the story of a ghost (laughs) going on and on and on yeah, and we don't need to be that. We don't need to be that one. Yeah, nor you don't need to be a ghost. Mm. So just work on those patterns of that which wishes to grab and hold, that which is arresting, that which is fighting, that which is grabbing, that which is manipulative, in a way it's deep sila practice, yeah, deep subtle sila practice, morality ethical practice, loving-kindness practice, steeping it, steeping the jitta in these, parenting it comes out of its wayward habits. And then the ability for the mind to see the, the links, how the samsara is generated and how to break or release that bondage. This is another book. In fact, I've written one, Karma and the End of Karma. You can download it. How does one work with the inner critic? Good old story. I think I touched on this this morning. This is another karmic habit. Um, well, you know, critic is always based upon success and failure, praise and blame. And, uh, um so, when we recognise these are in fact rather empty, in other words, they do not provide stability, comfort, and ease um essentially, you know the more completely you can keep coming back to stable, grounded, open presence, this term I keep using. Uh, which is not a success or a failure or a personal attainment or a personal statement or an ideology or a view or a fixation or it's just stable, open presence. You know, it's not fun, it's not bad, it's just stable, open presence. It's where the adjectives stop, right? Stable and open is about as good as you can say. This, that is this giving you some ground because this is where the, the critic can't go. There's nothing to get hold of there. What it can get hold of are your actions and moods and energies so that if you have stable presence you can begin to get less impulsive about that and less driven to make all that stuff ideal. Perfection is a a recipe for incredible self-punishment. you know, as soon as we can get out of that, and recognise the is what's called the the characteristics of dukkha, things are always incomplete, unfinished, not quite as good as we could imagine them being. And that's everything from, you know, the weather, the people around you, your body, your thoughts. They're all kind of not quite complete, not as good as as we can ideally imagine them to be. The more you see that you stop having an idea, an ideal, and you get pragmatic. You don't need to have an ideal. You need to know how to relate to the imperfect until eventually perfect, imperfect, not important. What's important is relationship. And the critic does not relate in any respectful, open way. Critic just reacts So we're learning to relate to the 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 unsatisfactory or the incomplete, changeable nature of existence. How intimate that is. We're the heart that is is equanimous. Open. All it wants to do is to learn to relate. Learn to open, steady, stabilize. Not searching for results. And this is then the critic can't get hold of that. With a bit of effort, you know, I mean, some critics are pretty smart and say, "Well, you don't relate very well. <laughs> You're not very good at relationship. You could do a lot better relating than that." Okay, well, how's that feel? Can you relate to that? That's irritation, disappointment. How how are you with that? Okay, that's that? So you turn. To the critic, and you start relating to that. Get it? You start relating to that negative critic with a mind of, okay. There it is. That particular quality. What's in need? Mm. That's mm. so mentioned not taking things personally not defending oneself i wonder if sometimes out of self-respect we need to distance ourselves from people who don't seem to respect us e.g if they are ridiculing or judgmental or is it an internal problem we need to deal with i.e self-judgment and when we deal with that it will resolve itself on other levels too well you don't need to defend yourself you need to protect yourself you don't need to defend yourself you need to protect your heart and the difference is that defending yourself is always associated with having some kind of impression of what you are and and you're turning and you have something that's based upon fear defense is a fear system right I'm frightened of the other things. I'm looking at that which I find frightening. Therefore, what's generated is the energy of fear. Okay? The energy of fear, you live in that, you keep noticing more things to feel frightened of, anxious about, what people might be thinking about me, what they might be saying behind my back, what they don't have the guts to tell me, and so on. Or what they did tell me three years ago. So, once you get into the fear system, your mind starts proliferating all sorts of anxieties and defending yourself. I didn't do that. It's not my fault. I'm trying to rebuff that. Protection means you're turning towards something that requires love. So, protection is a love modality, defense is a fear modality. So, there's something beautiful here that. No, no. This is worth looking af no, this is worth looking after. I don't accept that. No, I don't accept that. No. So protecting. Um, The difference is of course that um, you know don't mind feedback. In fact we need feedback. How else are we going to learn? But don't need the judgment. In other words, if, if you know if what I'm doing is disappointing you, um, quite like to know about that and what you know how that how that happens. That's just navigation. Let me know. I don't want the you're such as no, 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 no. I don't need the blaming. That's not going to help. But I wouldn't mind some accurate information. I don't need the emotional salvos. Thank you. So I'm not accepting the emotional salvo, the emotional dumping, but I'm prepared to accept and be interested in some information I can make use of and how to correct my behaviour. Well, that's the way. Mm. Mm. Because if it's emotional dumping, then you know, that's in a way the other person's problem. Uh, which one can feel compassion for, I'm, I'm sorry that that causes that in you, it must be difficult for you. Mm. But I'm still not defending myself, I'm just saying I sympathise with your irritation and disappointment, I get that at times, how can I help? But I'm not accepting your judgement of me, because your judgement is coming from these agitated emotions. There's a difference. And so we say feedback is important, but blaming and judgment is of no use. And so to make the clear line, I quite like the information, I don't need the anger. And sympathy. Okay, I think we are coming to the end of our question time. Sometimes I know I I take a long time to explore a question because these are not yes, no answers. These are not, take five of these, have one of those answers. These are explorations and I hope you can bear with that and find something useful in that. This is how you should question yourself. Don't look for an immediate answer. Explore, look into, investigate. Muse over it, linger long, and you can get resolutions rather than just another pocket answer.